Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Therapy Explained podcast. This week we're discussing craniosacral therapy, a form of body work consisting of remarkably light touches across the body. Joining me is Cork-based craniosacral therapist Fabrizio Vitali. Fabrizio describes his discovery of craniosacral therapy, how it was developed, its physiological basis, what a typical session looks like, common misconceptions, the connection between physical and emotional trauma, and much more. Welcome back to the Therapy Explained podcast. Today I'm joined by Fabrizio Vitali, a Cork-based craniosacral therapist and holistic massage therapist. Thanks for joining me today, Fabrizio. If you'd mind starting off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Hi, James. Uh, thanks a lot, first of all, for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm Fabrizio and uh, yeah, I started my journey about 12 years ago um, into craniosacral therapy. Uh, I've, uh, I've done my courses here uh, um, in Ireland and I started as a big skeptic. Uh, but uh, I said to myself, well, you know, I'm uh, attracted to this uh, kind of uh, therapeutic form, so I'll give it a shot and see where it goes. Uh, and uh, from day one, I totally fell in love with it. And uh, uh, 12 years later, uh, I've um, I've been uh, practicing uh, in Cork uh, and in Ireland uh, and uh, yeah, I just uh, really love it. Uh, on top of that, I'm also a, a holistic massage therapist that you know, just implements uh, what I've learned with craniosacral therapy and it can be a really nice combination for the clients presenting whatever issues at the clinic and uh, sometimes we need a, a bit of the both approaches, a bit more a deep tissue massage uh, to kind of allow uh, our clients to kind of get more into the uh, mojo of uh, receiving craniosacral therapy. I imagine it must be quite a natural extension of craniosacral therapy. You had some level of skepticism before you started uh, studying craniosacral therapy. I'm wondering what kind of skepticism and how this was challenged through your maybe initial training and your experience that you picked up as a, a craniosacral therapist. Absolutely. Um, I was always, uh, let's say, uh, in favor of uh, uh, complementary modalities uh, uh, of healing. Uh, um, but I also worked uh, many years as a social worker or care assistant. So, you know, um, dealing with uh, kind of, uh, you know, the harsh reality of things uh, for people and their issues and their dynamics. Uh, so uh, um, I, I, I needed to have my own experience uh, before, uh, you know, launching into kind of studying uh, what craniosacral therapy was about. Uh, um, so I used to suffer with uh, severe migraines, uh, regular ones, really debilitating ones. And uh, um, a good friend of mine uh, uh, back in Italy, who's a physiotherapist, uh, had uh, kind of started doing uh, uh, the craniosacral therapy training and he had mentioned it to me. Uh, and that was sitting just at the back of my head. And uh, one day I just bumped into a um, business card of this uh, wonderful therapist based in Middleton. And uh, I said to myself, listen, nothing else is working. Medication is not working. Uh, um, let's give it a shot. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, I've tried it, you know. And uh, so when I went to the um, first appointment with this uh, craniosacral therapist, uh, um, I, you know, explained uh, the reason I was there for the migraines, but I was making sure not to give any kind of uh, 
other hints with my body language, you know, uh, and I, I was testing her, really, I was testing her. And, um, and she was very welcoming and uh, I lay down on the massage table and she was, she was just holding my, my feet at the end of the table. Uh, and, um, and, you know, after five minutes of just really silence, she was really kind of tuning in with my body. Uh, she made me this first question and she said, so Fabrizio, would you like to tell me more about that spot behind your left ear the, where, uh, where uh, your migraines appear to kind of uh, generate? And I was, I had made sure that I hadn't said anything about that. And in my head, all I was thinking was, this is witchcraft. <laughs> How is this working, you know? <laughs> How does she know about this? I really made sure that I didn't give away any tips with my body language or with my words about that spot behind my left ear. Um, so, so that sparked my interest. Uh, I'm a curious person by nature, so I said, how the hell is this person able from just holding my heels uh, at the end of the table, uh, how did she feel something going on at the other end, on the top end of my body? And, uh, and yeah, so I... Did you ever get the answer to that, Fabrizio? Yes, then when I started the training a couple of, uh, was it one or two years later, my first sessions, uh, um, you basically learn how to tune in uh, into the fascia of our body. So the fascia is a connective tissue that uh, envelopes uh, every single part of our body from head to toes. Uh, um, we could compare it to a sort of a cling film uh, that wraps up all our bones, uh, organs, muscles, nerves, uh, anything really in our body. So there is a continuity of the fascia. It's a, a whole, a one tissue. There's no interruption in it of it from head to toes. So by palpating the fascia in any part of the body, you can get a good idea of where there's tensions uh, in, the, in the fascia elsewhere in the body. So this was kind of, yes, how kind of then you learn uh, how to palpate the full body. That's one of the aspects of uh, um, how craniosacral therapy is a full body uh, treatment. Uh, you might be, like in my case, you know, coming in with an issue with headaches uh, and you can start treating it from the feet, let's say so. Is that like when you see the pictures of, say, the sole of someone's foot and it might be divided up into different sections of the foot would represent different parts of the body. Is that the same thing? Uh, also, yes. I suppose that goes back also a bit more to Chinese medicine and, and reflexology. Uh, but by any means, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And how are the migraines now? My migraines, after a couple of sessions, uh, were gone. I would have get now the odd migraine, but I know when they're coming on and, uh, you know, nothing compared to the debilitating migraines I had. Uh, and um, yeah, there was definitely a physical component to it, but uh, um, quite a few emotional layers <laughs> that were on top of the physical component of, uh, of uh, what was generating my migraines. So uh, um, yeah, it was quite a, a profound experience. How might you explain craniosacral therapy to someone? So the way I like to describe it is that uh, craniosacral therapy is a full body treatment uh, and it's a hands-on treatment, but the 
pressure of my hands on their body would be in the range of 5 to 10 grams. So it's feather light, let's say. And it's very non-invasive, uh, very gentle. And through that kind of uh, palpation and tr through the, that kind of uh, gentle touch, we're able to tune in uh, with the fascia. And the fascia is also uh, allowing us to listen to the full nervous system. And the nervous system has uh, its own qualities, uh, a bit like the heartbeat uh, or, uh, or uh, our breathing, you know? So, you know, we have a certain healthy qualities to that. So we're able to listen uh, through the to the nervous system's uh, uh, qualities throughout all the body. And we can, let's say, detect uh, um, uh, by listening in different stations, in different uh, locations in the body, where the nervous system maybe is a bit struggling. Uh, and uh, the qualities um, um, of the nervous system in certain locations of the body are not doing so well. So that might be uh, one of the causes of what's holding back their full well-being and health or a full recovery. Um, so uh, so this kind is kind of a, tuning into the nervous system. Exactly, exactly. You mentioned how we could tell if someone's breathing was maybe labored or if their heartbeat was irregular or rapid. What kind of things yeah. would you pick up about a nervous system that might tell you mm, there's something out of sorts here? Yeah, so the nervous system uh, uh, qualities are uh, there's a few of them. Uh, so one is of the one of them is like the 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 vitality of it. You know how strong do I feel that nervous system in with uh, my gentle touch on on their body? You know it could be like you know a very gentle uh, like puff. And that's usually kind of, you know, the, the, the quality of the cranial sacral rhythm uh, in, uh, in babies or young kids. Uh, but um, it usually has a nice vitality in adults. So uh, that's one of the first things that I would look for it. Uh, the symmetry. So we always kind of compare left side to the right side of the body. So, you know, if that uh, uh, quality is uh, asymmetric, uh, it's giving me a hint that there's something going on on one side of the body rather than the other. Um, so we can listen to different qualities uh, of the nervous system uh, that will give us a good hint where in the body the main uh, um, tensions or distortions of the, the nervous system are kind of uh, have been embodied. Um, so yeah, this is I'm wondering how it was discovered. Was it one person in particular, or was this something that's been developed over hundreds of years? Well, it has uh, quite a few decades, possibly 150 years. Uh, so um, craniosacral therapy has been, uh, let's say, fully developed by John Pledger, uh, an American osteopath uh, in the 70s and 80s uh, in, uh, in the States. Uh, but he, he was... Um, uh, he got, let's say, interested in these kind of uh, qualities and motions of the uh, craniosacral uh, system uh, uh, through the discoveries of uh, previous uh, uh, osteopaths like Stills, uh, um, who was one of the founders of the osteopathic school of medicine in the States. And this goes back to uh, late 1900, uh, uh, 19th century, apologies. Um, so he was making, uh, still was making these experiments with this kind of helmet uh, that uh, had some nuts and bolts that could put pressure uh, on the cranial bones. Uh, and uh, depending on which, uh, he was trying to see if there was a relation uh, uh, between which cranial bone was uh, 
put more pressure and what effects that would have had in the body physically and emotionally. So he basically was the one who discovered uh, this motion of uh, uh, expansion and uh, contraction of the, of the skull, basically. So, um, and that was quite, um, let's say, uh, unconventional at the time because through many centuries uh, um, we've been taught that uh, once we become adults, our skull bones, bones fuse completely. Uh, and he was saying, well, no, they're not fully fused. Uh, there's actually emotion inside the skull to allow this kind of uh, the circulation and what he called the primary breathing of our body. Um, so there's a certain quality of elasticity uh, between the skull bones that have to accommodate the increase of pressure due to uh, the blood flow, uh, whatever, let's say, flu body fluids uh, are reaching the brain and then when they leave the brain going to the rest of the body there's a contraction so it's a bit like a balloon if you want you know that you can kind of uh, uh, fill in with air and deflate a bit and mm. um, i kind of so imagine it's like the, the plates of the earth you know they're they can kind of shift a little bit correct they're That's fairly tightly stuck together mm. absolutely absolutely um so john pleasure picked up on what uh, uh, still uh, developed as a cranial osteopathy and um, and then a pleasure just took it a couple of levels uh, let's say up uh, by really trying to you know with also modern technology um, trying to kind of measure uh, physically this kind of motion and these kind of qualities that we were talking uh, a few minutes ago about the cranial sacral system and the nervous system um, so, uh, uh, on top of that, uh, uh, he was able to develop a set of techniques uh, that would release uh, the, the fascia and in particular the skull bones and the whole spine uh, to allow it the correct functioning, basically, of uh, our central nervous system. And as we know, you know, our nervous system commands everything on a physical level, on an emotional level, uh, and. Uh, and so forth and so on. You spoke about that person you saw in Middleton, how they started by working on your feet. I had the assumption that it was all based around your cranium, your skull, but is that incorrect? I suppose yes, James, it's incorrect, as in uh, the, the definition itself is a bit deceiving. Uh, craniosacral uh, therapy comes, uh, the, the term craniosacral um, identifies the two ends of our central nervous system, the cranium, our skull, and the sacrum bone, which is our tailbone uh, that sits between our hips. So it defines uh, where the brain and the spinal cord uh, uh, are. Um, but uh, as we were saying, uh, the fascia being an extension of the, a direct extension of, of the central nervous system uh, envelopes every single bit of our body from head to toes. And it's only now that actually, you know, uh, modern research and uh, the, the kind of medical environment uh, have been uh, um, recognizing this uh, quality uh, of the fascia as an extension of the central nervous system. Before it was just considered as a connective tissue. It was a tissue that was just binding our bodily bits together and keeping them all in our uh, kind of in the in the right position in our uh, under our skin, so to speak. Um, instead, now there's a lot of research and they're pumping a lot of more kind of funds into this field because it's quite groundbreaking uh, 
uh, saying what we consider just connective tissue is actually able to transmit electrical and neurological information back and forth uh, in our body. So it's more like an extension of the nervous system rather than just that cling film that you would have thought before. I'm wondering how has modern science been? Is that the main way that it's been able to, I guess, give more legitimacy to craniosacral therapy? They've been able to see, well, actually what these people are working on, this is some scientific evidence to support that, that by working on your fascia, that you can influence the nervous system where problems can be stored. Correct, uh, James. Uh, um, uh, I suppose there's still kind of the early stages of understanding fully how the fascia is able to transmit neurological uh, signals, but uh, by any means there's a, a lot of interest in the medical community. And, um, and the, I think the interesting part of it is that uh, it's not only, let's say, osteopaths or craniosacral therapists that are trying to, let's say, uh, go further with this uh, specific uh, research field but it's also anatomists and physicians uh, so people who are let's say not directly invested uh, in the in the in the role uh, of uh, bringing craniosacral therapy uh, validated in the kind of com- medical community i gave one of my misconceptions about it there thinking that it was just about the head i wonder what might be some other common misconceptions about craniosacral therapy, you know, that maybe people assume coming into you or might ask you about it? Yeah, um, one of the first uh, miscom- misconception is that it's good only for babies uh, and, and young kids. Uh, um, I suppose this comes a lot from, uh, it, from uh, the fact that uh, craniosacral therapy has uh, uh, been uh, um, receiving a lot of attention uh, in in the in pediatrics uh, in the application on babies because uh, um, the babies really benefit uh, in a very fast way. Let's say there's less layers uh, 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 that you need to go through for uh, babies to have a, a benefit beneficial uh, uh, let's say result uh, of the application of craniosacral therapy. But also because uh, in this, not only in the states but also in a few countries in Europe, uh, um, nursing schools uh, and kind of uh, um, lactation uh, consultants uh, have been referring uh, a lot of babies to craniosacral therapy uh, for um, ailments like colics uh, or uh, um, not being able to latch on properly for breastfeeding, uh, um, reflux. Uh, uh, so, and because there is a very high success rate uh, in these particular fields with, uh, with uh, babies, it has gained a bit the reputation that it's really good for babies, therefore it's only good for babies. <laughs> but that's not the case that you see people from all ages? Absolutely true. Um, my youngest client has been uh, three days old. And my eldest uh, uh, has been 93 years old so far. So yes, there's a very, very broad uh, spectrum of uh, ages uh, that can uh, really benefit uh, from craniosacral therapy. And in, let's say, some really young kids, babies, some of the problems people might be looking for help with might be difficulty latching on, colic, reflux, any other problems that people might be referred to you for with young kids? Well, yes, especially on more on, let's say, the physical level, uh, uh, a lot of uh, babies that might present with uh, 
torticollis, uh, which you know difficulty moving uh, to one particular side, uh, their head uh, either to the left side or right side or both sides, um, misshapen heads, um, uh, tongue tie is another big one. Uh, um, so also sleepless babies, uh, um, babies that might have gone through you know not such an easy birth, uh, uh, could kind of carry on. Uh, the, their first kind of uh, uh, external world experiences uh, uh, for quite a long time in their bodies. So craniosacral therapy can address also these kind of more uh, uh, emotional related. Uh, so like a traumatic birth. Babies. Yeah, yeah. So th this would be kind of the, the main uh, complaints, uh, let's say, uh, of how um, babies uh, present in, uh, for craniosacral therapy. Then with more the kind of uh, adult population, uh, anything that deals with chronic pain, migraines, uh, um, uh, visceral dysfunction, uh, um, accidents, uh, that's, that's a big one, you know, when uh, a lot of um, people come uh, to try craniosacral therapy after not uh, being able to tackle uh, whatever physical issue uh, when they've tried, let's say, the more conventional uh, uh, therapies like physiotherapy, um, and the likes of it uh, and uh, so when there's a, um, that's quite an interesting aspect I think because when a physical problem tends to come back despite you know if you've tried a lot of other uh, um, uh, approaches uh, uh, conventional uh, let's say less conventional uh, uh, it's giving me the sign that maybe there's an emotional component to that uh, physical problem that hasn't been dealt with so um, and that's where I think the beauty of craniosacral therapy kicks in because it really combines uh, uh, the physical level, uh, working on a physical level with uh, working also on an emotional level, uh, allowing the body to release, uh, uh, once again, on physical and emotional level as one thing. Which I imagine will be, become a lot more commonplace as time goes on. We, you can't really separate those two as much as we would have in the past at least. It sounds like such a, gosh, I imagine some people must be really desperate, you know, they've tried everything and because, well, I guess they've tried a lot more of the conventional approaches and this might be one of the less conventional ones. But I just think for kids in particular, you know, I think a lot more families, maybe you might even notice the difference. I'm not sure if it's still the case for BCO between Italy, where you're from, and Ireland, but as parents have less support from extended families, it's a lot of pressure and you know things like difficulty latching reflux colic and that can break you and having options to treat that could make the world a difference to the start of someone's life and their parents lives absolutely correct james um one very interesting uh, aspect uh, interesting aspects of uh, when we're treating babies or young kids is that we always bring in uh, their parents of course if they're around uh, and uh, but also so we treat uh, while we have the the whether it's parents or closest family uh, in the in the in the room the same room we basically treat we try and treat and connect all the family members um, and why do we do this it's because uh, sometimes uh, um, our kids uh, might be carrying uh, uh, in their body something that doesn't really belong to them in terms of dynamic you know 
they might have been absorbing uh, certain uh, experiences uh, emotionally or also physically coming from uh, their closest family, their parents, but also their siblings. So uh, we really, when uh, there's um, babies in particular and young kids uh, that present with certain uh, uh, the complaints, uh, we tend to have all you know, the, their closest family inside the room to be able to connect with all of them. And what I really experienced most of the times is that uh, I might have a hand, one of my hands on the, on the child or on the baby and the other hand either on the father or the mother. And as the other family members uh, release something in their body, the same release is almost mirrored in the baby's or, the, or in the child's body. So it's as if there's that kind of understanding uh, uh, from the baby or child uh, that, hey, if you know, mom or dad or brother or sister uh, are letting go, are releasing of something in the bodies, it's safe to do so also for myself. So even the baby or child kind of releases whatever is being kind of mirrored in terms of patterns of tension, uh, physical and emotional. Uh, um, so it's quite a wonderful thing really treating the family unit together. That sounds amazing. It also sounds a little bit out there. I mean, how might you explain that, Fabrizio? At the same time, someone's a parent's releasing something and the child, is whatever they're holding that was maybe passed on to them by the parents, is released as well. What's the explanation for that? Well, the, the theory behind it is that uh, um, not only, of course, we're kind of uh, uh, social beings, so we're uh, really, truly interconnected uh, with our uh, same uh, uh, human race uh, and the environment, of course, around us. Uh, the theory behind it is that uh, every cell of our body can carry uh, memories. And why is that? It's mainly through, because we're 70% made of water, so there's been amazing studies uh, of how uh, directing a certain energy towards uh, uh, water um, can, uh, let's say, be transmitted to, the, to that uh, element of water. So there's been uh, incredible uh, uh, studies made by um, a Japanese uh, photographer, um, um, which at the moment I forget the name, apologies about that. But it has an interesting, uh, I think it's a somato, so it's very close to somato emotional release. Um, and basically he had uh, collected some water uh, from one of the sacred lakes in Japan and some of the other water uh, from uh, some really boggy uh, fields, let's say, um, that had been kind of neglected for and he did some microscopic pictures of these two different kinds of water. And the one uh, coming from the sacred lakes in Japan uh, had all these beautiful geometrical shapes. And the other ones instead uh, um, were kind of muddy. There wasn't, uh, you know, uh, there was no symmetry in the shapes uh, in these microscopic pictures. So what did he do? He took the, in, in different containers, uh, um, uh, different samples of the water coming from these uh, uh, swamps and uh, boggy fields uh, and uh, he put a label on each one of them and one was of them say was love and the other one was joy and the other one was positivity 
and uh, he started uh, on a daily basis uh, um, sending his kind of intention of joy, love and positivity to each of these containers. And after a while doing this, he took again the microscopic pictures uh, of the same samples of water and instead of the muddy asymmetric shapes, there were symmetrical shapes, really wonderful shapes, uh, very similar to the samples of the, of the uh, water uh, taken from the uh, sacred lakes uh, in Japan. So all this story is that we're made of water, 75% most likely. And uh, so there's water in every cell of, uh, of our body and that can absorb uh, emotions or whatever else is coming from, let's say, the external environment of our body um, and can be stored as such. So that's how we can carry on something that doesn't belong directly to our history. You know, it might be, you know, our parents problem or our close relative problem that has been absorbed in our own experience just by being exposed to it. Uh, we could, it can be carried on in our body. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, uh, something that definitely our body doesn't need and we try to help and release it <laughs> because uh, it will interfere then in the physical functioning of our body. That brings us to uh, what is a core component of craniosacral therapy, somatic emotional release. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yes, James. Um, during the treatment, uh, while we're working uh, hands-on uh, on the person's body, uh, anything can come up into their awareness uh, during the treatment, uh, whether it's a specific feeling or a particular body part or a memory or an image. And when this happens, it's the less conscious parts, uh, part of uh, their body trying to bring something really relevant uh, uh, to their treatment on that day. So what we do, we encourage the client uh, to have a bit of a chat with that image or memory or feeling that has uh, surfaced into their awareness during the treatment. And uh, when doing this, uh, uh, we just ask some questions just to facilitate that kind of uh, uh, dialogue uh, between their uh, conscious and unconscious level. And uh, that will really kind of uh, address the emotional component of uh, uh, what's kind of being held on the, on the, in their body and in their psyche. So um, the important uh, thing about uh, this conversation is that uh, the, the body will really try and find a resolution of what's being brought up, whether it was, once again, whether it was a memory or a past event or a feeling in, in their body. And uh, by doing this uh, dialoguing, uh, there's 99% uh, of the times there's a resolution. And the moment the client reaches that awareness of that resolution uh, with whatever is being brought up into his uh, conscious level, uh, we feel in the body this uh, emotional and physical release. So actually with our hands still uh, touching the, our client's uh, body, we feel this a sudden release and it goes, it's like a rush that goes in throughout all the body and all of a sudden uh, 
when there's this emotional release, all the body softens, uh, it expands. Uh, all the good qualities, let's say, that we were looking for in the nervous system uh, at the start of the treatment uh, are finally there. You know, we feel more vitality, more movement. Uh, and, uh, and this allows to, for the client to kind of really address uh, um, and let go of uh, what they've been carrying sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously in their body on an emotional level. How often when you come across people that come to you with a pain or some negative feeling in their body, how often it is related to an emotion? Are they always or would it just be some of the time? Um, in my own experience, it's the majority of times. So I would say at least two thirds, you know, sometimes it's just a physical thing, you know, if you know, if we have a fall uh, from the stairs and, you know, we hurt our back, it's pure and simple as a, as a, as a let's say, physical injury, but say uh, in more, and it doesn't have to be more, let's say, necessarily complex scenario, but say if there's a, if you're in a car crash, uh, I've had many people coming in for a car crash and, you know, even minor car crash, you know, um, there might have been a component of fear uh, or uh, say the person in the, involved in a minor cra car crash uh, uh, has been abused by the other driver. So that's when the emotional component kicks in and that emotional uh, trauma um, is uh, memorized in our body, is, uh, is, uh, uh, is being kind of embedded. So yes, you know, we might have had a sore neck uh, uh, in that car crash uh, and yes, we might to address it uh, with conventional therapies, as we were mentioning before. But if if the pain comes keeps on coming back, uh, it means that maybe that component of fear or uh, you know or being abused uh, uh, verbally uh, by the other driver um, is not being dealt with and released. Uh, the physical um, complaint will still be there. It's as if the emotional. Uh, trauma or psychological trauma, the energy of it is able to recreate that physical tension in the body that then, uh, you know, signals as pain or physical dysfunction or, uh, um, or in other ways. So it's a quite a fascinating uh, uh, concept where um, until the emotional slash psychological uh, aspect of the incident or trauma is not released, uh, this will recreate again the physical complaint which i think anyone that has any interest in psychotherapy it's something that you come across so much more you know it's the well-known book the body keeps the so the score talks about how our body can hold on to traumatic um experiences and even if we think about autoimmune disorders irritable bowel syndrome asthma some of these body-based problems there's a considerable school of thought that would think that they're related to some kind of trauma some kind of traumatic experience and yeah it's like the body is signaling that all is not well there's something wrong here i guess just on your point as early mentioned about car crashes and where the other driver might be you know have berated them afterwards i work with quite a, a few people that have been in car crashes and it shocks me how often someone is in a car crash and the other person did something to make it way worse either they drove off or they denied that it was their fault or they accused them of it being their fault when it wasn't 
it's uh which i wonder is that why i see so many people with ptsd fall in accident if that's what can make the difference sometimes when the not only does something bad happen but someone's done something quite wrong afterwards as well absolutely um once again you know uh, we're emotional beings uh, so unconsciously we absorb every single input uh, from the external environment uh, so um it is as i was saying it's most of the times there is a, an emotional component to something that uh, presents as a physical problem and tends to come back um is that something that you can pick up on fabrizio let's say when you're i'm not sure you might call it doing an assessment can you tell when this is purely body-based versus when there's an emotional component um with with years of experience now i i I could get a good hint from the bodies. Uh, uh, um, the, I always say bodies don't lie. Maybe you know our minds can lie, and sometimes you know it has a functional doing a way of doing that. You know it has a purpose, but uh, um, there is a there is a I suppose we carry our emotional luggage in a quite a different way in our body compared to how we carry our let's say physical history in our body. So uh, um, sometimes, uh, um, sometimes not sometimes, but actually most of the times, I would never kind of disclose uh, anything. Uh, it's it's uh, such a kind of um, um, I wouldn't come in with an agenda when there's a client. I might have a good hint there's that's an emotional component of what's going on in their body, but I wouldn't kind of flag it. It's uh, it's a really kind of. A, uh, self-discovery really uh, process for the client uh, that uh, they have to go through it so my role as a therapist uh, is uh, really holding space for them uh, in the most therapeutic way which is being non-judgmental uh, uh, present uh, for them and grounded so these are kind of the three cardinal aspects of any really good therapeutic approach I believe uh, but in particular, when we're kind of physically holding the space for the, somebody's body, I always kind of uh, make sure that I'm not going there with any agenda. So I'm neutral. And yes, then if whatever comes up into their awareness uh, uh, comes up, I'll be there supporting that process, that dialogue, that visualization with them that uh, um, really enhances that process of self-awareness of what has happened to them, uh, uh, whether it's a conscious experience or less conscious experience that they uh, witnessed, uh, you know. It, it sounds like with a lot of therapies out there, it's considered that there's an inherent ability to heal and that we're just there to support it, maybe guide it along gently, but for the most part, it, it does its own thing. And it sounds like that's similar with um, craniosacral therapy. Absolutely correct, James, yes. It's really about uh, holding the space uh, for that process of self-awareness for the person uh, and uh, just facilitate uh, um, their uh, own kind of healing. You know, when someone comes to you, what might they expect from a first session? Do you get straight into the gentle massage or um, is it more like an assessment? So there's definitely an assessment uh, and the way I kind of, uh, I always kind of uh, briefly describe uh, what to expect from the treatment uh, but then uh, when I, I finish describing uh, what to expect from the treatment, I always say also, we can expect also the unexpected. <laughs> uh, 
um, whether it's your first appointment uh, or if you come uh, uh, for uh, many appointments, every session is quite different to the previous one. So uh, once again, we really follow the body's agenda. Um, so the other way I explain it is, uh, you know, if there's a person coming in with a certain complaint, uh, I always tell them, look, I'll put my 100% intention of uh, addressing uh, that complaint, but if your body is showing me that there's a few preliminary layers that we need to address, uh, I'll go with that. So, uh, because the body's intelligence is really telling me, look, before addressing that part of the body, we need to address these other parts, uh, and then that kind of allows really the full healing uh, of whatever is going on in, uh, in their body. Is it entirely gentle touch uh, along different parts of the body for BCRs or different elements to it, apart from just touch? So it is mainly gentle touch, extremely gentle touch, feather light, to the point that sometimes, uh, you know, the client on the table opens up their eyes and say, oh, I thought you had your hands on my leg, but now you have them uh, on my hips, you know, that kind of thing. Other times when there is a, a full body uh, release, uh, especially when there's a, like a, a combined with the emotional release, um, we could kind of uh, go well beyond our kind of gentle touch. Uh, once again, we could bring up the example of the car crash. Uh, some people say it was a more severe car crash and they were stuck in the car and had, you know, a part of the car squashing uh, some part of their body. We, with our touch, um, we are recreating that kind of pressure because that is helping the, the client uh, to relive and process the memory of what has happened to them. So uh, it's as if uh, the way sometimes I describe it, James, is um, from that very gentle touch, 5-10 grams on their skin, it feels that all of a sudden there's like a magnet inside of their body asking me to go and actually increase the pressure that I'm applying on their body uh, because that's allowing me maybe to get into the fascia that uh, is uh, uh, wrapping their bones and maybe that's where exactly the emotional or physical trauma has been stored. So we have to go from the skin layer, go through many other layers, uh, muscles uh, um, and so forth and so on until we reach kind of the bone level. So we're not really we're not inflicting pain, of course, <laughs> on our on our clients, but uh, we're just helping uh, their body to relive that kind of experience. Uh, um, having said that, you know um, this kind of it's not kind of the usual. Uh, it's it's only when uh, the person gets familiar and can, with with uh, with the client gets familiar with the whole process, uh, and they're kind of a bit more ready to go in depth let's say. That sounds like another example of how two nervous systems seem to combine as they're very much in communication with each other. Is that right for me, when it says it's almost like you feel like you need to push that Absolutely. little bit harder? Absolutely. Mm. And it's all about, of course, doing that in the most supportive way. So I, 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 I would also kind of, you know, verbally tell them, listen, I'm gonna push a bit more if it feels really uncomfortable and I need to back off, you let me know. You know, it's not, it, it, once again, you, I think the best way is uh, making the person aware of what's happening during the session. Uh, 
and uh, and basically it's almost asking uh, consent to their bodies uh, to you know uh, uh, being able to apply more pressure or uh, um, let's say doing it in a less conventional way um, we've had also many times part of craniosacral therapy is also um, what we call uh, the completion of uh, certain biological processes uh, and uh, one of them uh, can be uh, re-experiencing uh, your own birth uh, that's let's say the, the most classic example we could give you know um, so when an adult is <laughs> re-experiencing their birth uh, uh, it, it's not only with their visualization their body starts jiggling and wiggling uh, reproducing those movements in the canal birth uh, and uh, so uh, most of the times uh, when this happens uh, we come off the massage table and we're down on the floor and allowing uh, their body to unwind uh, and relive that uh, those movements or whatever went on with their own birth uh, because that's really helping uh, on a sensory level to integrate what's going on in their visualization and understanding of when what went on during their own birth so um, once again we're combining the physical experience with uh, what they are reliving as a memory whether you know uh, it was a conscious memory or unconscious memory that has been kind of uh, brought up uh, during that treatment i've heard of the term and that sure is the same rebirthing for bco in other modalities as well such as breath work and it's something that yeah. just sounded so bizarre to me when I first heard it, but I guess it makes sense, you know, births can be extremely tra traumatic. My partner, when she gave birth, it was a home birth and it went really kind of smoothly. And, but like that was, it was only possible because we lived next to one of the best um, hospitals in the UK that specialized in home births and she was all into it. And um, so it went really well, but it was very much a natural birth. Whereas, you know, I've got friends who've had extremely difficult births and gosh, you know, it goes on for hours and, where people they have to kind of pull the baby out you can see i guess especially maybe more modern day where less natural methods are used there's a saying the further we move from nature the further we move from health so it's no wonder where baby babies are traumatized more when they have yeah. a yeah a birth like that correct james but sometimes uh, what we also find is that um uh, if people are re-experiencing their own birth, it's not necessarily a traumatic birth. Now, that would be, let's say, most of the cases, but uh, I had this wonderful experience with a client of mine where, uh, you know, all of a sudden during the treatment, they figured out they were uh, reliving their birth process. Uh, and uh, what he realized in his awareness, and I did ask him, you know, uh, was it difficult? Uh, was it, you know, a traumatic birth? He said, no, no, it was, you know, a natural birth. Uh, and everything went smooth, uh, uh, no chemicals. But as a baby, he was reliving uh, the experience that he just needed a bit more time to come out into the real world. Uh, so per se, the, the technically and medically, the birth wasn't traumatic at all, uh, let's say so. But as a baby born, uh, perinatal born, um, he, all he wanted was more time to adjust from the inside world to the outside world. So that was bringing some kind of um, uh, issues uh, uh, in his uh, adult life in terms of uh, 
uh, not feeling comfortable with being with other people or crowded places or uh, you know transitioning uh, in moments of his life or th things like this you know so um, uh, so yes it's quite incredible how as a, as a baby once again you know the birth was technically all good and smooth sailing but it wasn't meeting his expectations uh, or the way he had uh, you know uh, he had the kind of um, envisioned his own birth and uh, it's 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 a beautiful example of how you know our body once again still absorbs every single experience in our uh, in our life in utero conception uh, after birth uh, as adults so yeah for those listening in, Fabrizio, who wanted to find out more, if there are any books or any form of media, you know, whether it's a YouTube channel or a podcast, that you would recommend as, let's say, uh, to get even more of a taste of craniosacral therapy? There's a wonderful uh, book uh, written by John Pledger, the American osteopath who developed, uh, in, let's say, in the modern version, uh, craniosacral therapy, which is called The Inner Physician and You. So he goes through, a, let's say, um, a collection of his own experiences, uh, uh, personal, but mainly he, well, some of his clients' experiences, uh, um, showing how, um, what we've been talking about, uh, how the emotional and physical body are so tangled together that you cannot basically address only one separately to the other. Uh, we're all in one tangled in this kind of emotional and physical uh, chemical uh, soup in our body so uh, that's a, and it's a very easy reading it's a, it's not you know doesn't uh, use a, a technical jargon or a vocabulary so it's really highly recommended um, there's also the a pleasure institute's uh, uh, website the a pleasure institute is the educational body for craniosacral therapy internationally uh, where there you can find loads of uh, resources uh, um, and also links to other uh, researches and studies that have been published in, on uh, the most uh, known uh, medical journals. Uh, so uh, I suppose these two would be a really good starting point uh, uh, for um, uh, our listeners uh, to kind of uh, read a bit more and get more interested into um, craniosacral therapy. We've come to the end of our discussion today, Fabricio, so thank you so much for your time. I think you've done an excellent job of explaining craniosacral therapy to us all thanks a lot james for having me and uh, i really hope that uh, uh, your listeners uh, will be at least a bit uh, curious after hearing this uh, lovely conversation we had thank you so much <laughs>